0: Well, as we've stated, we are starting a new reading plan, and we're, as a church, reading 1 Corinthians right now, and if you're new to New Covenant and you want to jump in, I just want to remind you that on the table by the offering basket, there is a reading plan if you want to get one before you leave, and there's also one at the Welcome Center uh, as well on reading plans, and I just really want to encourage you. Um, As we've been reading 1 Corinthians, the message I'm going to share today comes out of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I'm only going to be able to cover verses 1 through 17, even though we were to read chapter 2 last week. We're a little behind, but we're going to catch up uh, very easily because even in chapter 1, some of 2 and 3 and 4 even actually deal with chapter 1, so I'll probably, I'll probably go back and forth with that. But I just want you to know as, uh, as I share today... Um, that the Spirit of God is is correcting my heart in this process as we read the Word of God. And and so I'm going to share some of the insights of chapter 1 today with you in what he basically showed me through chapter 1. And uh, what he's dealing with my heart, and I think he wants to deal with all of our hearts because I think we have some strongholds in our thinking that the Lord wants us to even surrender today. I think even what we went through as worship, even from the word of encouragement in 1 Corinthians 13 that, that uh, Emily shared, even with the singing and the prophetic word of, of our service and as far as our mind, I believe God is preparing us and he's already softening our hearts to even what I'm going to share today. And so I just want to thank the Holy Spirit for his cooperation with us, amen, and so him being so good. So. But today's message, I would, I've put a title to it, The Power of Correction. Everybody say, The Power of Correction. And I don't know if you're correctable or not, but when the Lord wants to correct us, there is such a power if we allow the Lord to correct our hearts. And I'm going to start uh, the message today with a video. I'm sure this video, I'm sure no one has been in this place. This, This video is about a husband and wife arguing and fighting. It's called The Fight by the Skit Guys. But this this happens not only in marriages, but it happens with our children. It happens in the church, with relationships within the church. But this kind of sets the stage of what we're going to get into when we talk about 1 Corinthians today. Because there were a few fights in Corinthians. We just don't see the best in each other. Does anybody relate to that? Whether it's a marriage, a relationship, or friends, or people in the church... We just don't see the best in each other. We're getting ready to read about the Corinthian church that was all jacked up. They had all kinds of problems. They were fighting and quarreling within the church. And Paul founded this church four years earlier. And he's starting to hear about all these different types of fights They had fights in marriages. They had fights about church leaders. They had fights about doctrine. They had fights about sexuality and what was permissible within sexuality. None of that going on in our culture. They had fights and lawsuits among church members, and so they were suing each other. There were fights about spiritual gifts, about tongues and prophecy. And Paul was hearing about all these fights and these quarrels within the church. He had heard them from, the, from Chloe's family, and he was in Ephesus, and he was hearing about all these things that were going in, on in the church that he founded. And so he writes 1 Corinthians, which is really actually 2 Corinthians because there is a lost book of Corinthians that Paul wrote that is mentioned in Corinthians that we don't know what he wrote. But Paul loved these people dearly, and he was hearing about all these fights and all these problems. And so we're going to see, as we start to read Corinthians, we're going to start seeing a lot of problems that are going on in the church there, and how Paul is wanting to correct their thinking, which is what the Holy Spirit began to do in our, in our worship service. He's going to correct our thinking, our idols, the way, the strongholds, the way we think about things. Paul would begin to systematically through the book of Corinthians, he would begin to hit certain topics and he would begin to work on the strongholds in their thinking and he would begin to correct them and begin to show them the way they were supposed to think, how their thinking should line up with the word of God. And so as we go through this study together as a church, God is going to begin to correct us as well. As we begin to read Corinthians and we begin to see how Christian brothers and sisters, how we're to walk in relationship, he's going to teach and correct us even in this process. Because there are areas that we as a church called New Covenant Worship Center that we need to mature in and grow in. And to do that, we need corrected by God, by his word, and even by each other. And so that's why I entitled this message, The Power of Correction, because God is wanting to change the way we think. And so I want to remind us, a couple of weeks ago I did share in the Word, and I want to remind us of what Jesus' goal for us is. Even what um, uh, Emily mentioned, what is my goal? I want, to, I want to remind us of what his goal and what his prayer for us in John 17 is. Because he's looking for something from us. He's looking for love. He's looking for unity. He's looking for us to be bound together. So this is Jesus' prayer out of John 17. That all of them, everybody say all with me. So that's all of us. Everyone in this room. Everyone watching online. God, this, this, this is his prayer for all of us as we call ourselves Christians, as we declare that we, are belo- we belong to him and we have taken on his name, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, there are people in your life that you are not in unity with right now. Every one of us have them. There is every one of us there. I'm sure there's a name already floating in your brain. There's a narrative that you've already built in your brain. I want you to go ahead and grab that name. Go ahead and keep it with us today. Now keep that name with you. And maybe you have a list, a laundry list, and you might have to roll it out today of people you're not in unity with, people you're not in oneness with. And I'm talking, when I'm talking about this message, I want you to realize I'm talking to Christians. I realize that our relationships are different with non-Christians. But when Paul is correcting the church in Corinth, he is talking to born-again people who love God. And I treat born-again people, and my relationship, we we should be fighting the same battles, and we should be coming in agreement on what unity looks like. Can I have an amen on that? I realize that I can't get in union. What does, what does an unbeliever have in common with a believer? It's like oil and water. We're not going to see things from the same perspective if, we're, if they're not yielded to Christ. Are, we, are, you, are you with me on that? So in the context, get a Christian that's in your heart and in your mind that you're not in, in unity with. Maybe you're struggling with. Maybe you've distanced yourself with. Because that's who Paul is addressing here is the Christians in Corinth that he's wanting them to be in unity and that we are supposed to be in unity with. And so does anybody want help in getting in unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you think that you could could you use some help cuz I sure could. I could sure use some help in this. And so our goal here is that we may be brought to complete unity as a church and as individuals within the church, husbands and wives, And so forth. And the result. I love what this is tied to, though. This scripture is tied to that if we will love each other and become in oneness with each other, that actually the world will what? The world will know that, God, you have sent Jesus Christ and that you love them. And so there is maybe, by the way, we're loving and unifying as a body of believers. What if if not unifying and not being in oneness, we're actually repelling people from Christ rather than bringing people to Christ? Do yeah. You see, there's a connection with our unity and our oneness actually reveals the glory of Christ. That the body of Christ, actually its goal is to reveal the beauty and the oneness and the love of God to the world that desperately needs him. Can I have an amen on that? And so we, if we will grow and mature in our thinking and how we see each other, I believe God will draw the world to himself as well. So what we're going to do is I'm going to look here first. We're going to jump into 1 Corinthians. And really kind of what I'm doing is I'm just kind of going line upon line. And I'm going to kind of just take you through the journey that the Spirit of God took me on and how he began to renew my mind and correct me. And I believe it's going to help you in your relationship as you keep that person that you were thinking of in your relationship that's there, uh, I believe God's going to bring us some good things. Are you guys ready for that? All right. So let's read the precious word of God. Thank you, Lord, for your word today. And I pray, God, use this word to open our eyes to see what you want us to see today. In Jesus' name. So here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus by the will of God, He establishes authority, I'm an apostle, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who who call on the name of Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, as I began to read this passage and begin to meditate on it, it just blew me away. Before Paul ever gets to correcting the Corinthian church, before he rebukes them for some of their sin, and as we read and as we get into the Scriptures, we're going to even at times wonder if the Corinthian church was even saved. When we find that they're not Correcting people, and there's a guy that's having an intimate relationship with his father's wife, and, and there's lawsuits, and there's all these conflicts and these divisions. You're going, dang, are these people even saved? Look how Paul, before he ever, ever addresses the problems, what does Paul do? Before he ever corrects the error, Paul first gives thanks for these people at Corinth, and he confirms their identity in Christ. What does he say? to the church in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who are calling on the name of our Lord Jesus, grace and peace to you. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. He immediately, before he ever goes to correcting, before he ever, there is a thankfulness in his heart, there is a gratitude inside of him for the Corinthian people. Paul knows them deeply. He loves them deeply. He has led many to the Lord. He's taught them. He's discipled them. Some of them he has baptized. He spent a year and a half with them. And so Paul's affection, Paul's, he starts with their identity and value. And I, I, I want to highlight this issue right there where it says, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Do you know what the word sanctified means? I'm going to tell you. Would you like to know what it means? Being sanctified in Christ Jesus means those who are called, or no, excuse me, yeah. It means to be set apart from the world and unto the Lord. Set apart as one declared holy, consecrated, free from sin, and pure. Now just pause for a moment. Paul's declaring... They are consecrated, holy, set apart for the Lord. They are without sin, and they are holy. Is that how you address people that you're struggling with? No. No, what do we do? We major on what is wrong, not what is right. So he calls and he says, you're sanctified people. You are called by his name. You are his, you are holy, you're set apart. You are the holiness of God. You are the body of Christ. You are a jewel, you are precious. Do you see this? This is where Paul is starting. If you're in conflict with your wife, I'm sure you're not saying, hey, baby, you're a holy and sanctified mama. <laughs> now, I want to remind us, there are serious sin problems and there are serious problems within the church that we're about to read th- th- through the next several weeks. And we will wonder again if they're saved. But oh yes, they are saved. But Paul sees them as saved, sanctified, set apart, but immature. Everybody say the word immature. Immature. He sees who they really are, their identity, their value, but he sees them as immature. Paul starts with who they really are. He starts with their holiness and their purity and their identity. And he realizes, Paul realizes, that their holiness and their purity and their sanctification is not based upon their outward performance. It is based upon the performance of the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? amen. Their righteousness had been imputed to them, and they were legally righteous and holy before the Lord because of what had Christ had done so that no man can boast. I mean it's amazing. I get up here and preach and I've got I'm not a perfect man. I know you know that. And it is only the grace of God that I can even preach and share the word of God. It is not my it is not my talent. It is it is the grace of God that, that any of us are blessed and any of us can do what we do. Can I have an amen on that? Amen. I was at my family reunion yesterday and I almost forgot about it, believe it or not. And the hailers came from all kinds of states, and we were in Knightstown. And my sister comes up, and, you, and, and I'm the auctioneer. We, do a, we raise funds for the rental of the place, and I do the auction. I get stuck with it every time. <laughs> and we got these little silly gifts that people do, and we, 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 we do the auction, and we raise money to rent the $185 shelter there in the nice town park. So I'm going, you give me one? Who will give me one? Who, oh, this is a gift for a kid three years and under. Who will give me three? Who will give me two? Da, 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 da. And I act a fool. <laughs> Imagine that. Watch it. (laughs) And I'm trying to raise up and equip others to do it. But it just doesn't happen. We get done with the auction. I raised like $250, $300. It was crazy. Just crazy. People were bidding up to $20 or something. I'm going, dang, you guys are going to fire me. They get into it and all that. But that's not the thing. But my sister comes up to me afterwards and she goes, man, you are just so good with people. It just blows me away how God has gifted you. And I looked at my sister and I said, it is the grace of God. It is the gift of God because I am not that good. Now, I know I'm not perfect good. I, I mean, I'm sure you can point out some, a few flaws. But no one can boast about the gifts and the callings. And once we come to know Christ, it is Christ and Christ alone. Can I please have an amen? He pulls things out of us that we don't even know are there. It's his amazing grace and work of faithfulness in making the Corinthian church blameless and finishing the work that God has started in them. Paul sees them through the true identity and value in Christ. But I want to ask you, what lens do you see people through? And here's where I'm beginning to get convicted. Because when people mess up, or they need corrected, or they need, you know, they hurt you, or whatever they do, whatever you get frustrated with somebody, what is the lens you're actually supposed to look at them through? Most of us, if we will be truthful and honest, we have a negative lens, a negative value lens. As you assign to them whatever you're thinking about them, you begin to make up a narrative within your own mind to justify your anger or your frustration towards that one that you love. And what we do is instead of like Paul who's seen them holy, we see them wicked. Instead of uh, seeing them like Paul did, we see them sanctified, we see them stupid. Stupid. Or, oh, it's just me that does that. Okay. (laughs) So, I'm preaching to myself today. Okay. We see them pure and wonderful and having gifts, or we see them messed up. I don't know what set of lenses you got, but I think our eyes need some eye salve. But what Paul knows is... Paul knows what they are. Paul knows who they are, whose they are. And he looks at them through Christ and the work of the cross, and he reaffirms and he says, I love this about you, and I'm thankful for you. How many of the people that are floating in your brain can you really say you're thankful for and you're grateful for? So, Paul goes a little further, and I'm going to pull some things out of this text that you might just graze over that God began to really highlight. There's four things within this passage of good things. Paul starts with the good he sees. There are good things happening in this church despite the immaturity and the corruptness that is there. So, my question is, Is do you start with what is wrong and what is corrupt about somebody, or do you only, and you only see what they're wrong? But let, let, let's see what Paul saw in the church based upon this scripture. Not only their identity and their value and their holiness and their sanctification in Christ, he actually says some things that I've put in four categories. He says the four third good things in Corinth, he says they know Christ. You have called on the name of Jesus. He is affirming that they have tasted of the grace of God and that they are born again. They're lovers of God. They speak of Christ with all kinds of speech and knowledge. They were making declaration about Christ. And number three, they have spiritual gifts operating. You do not lack any spiritual gifts. So in other words, the gifts of the Spirit were actually flowing in this church. matter of fact, we'll find out later in First Corinthians 12 and even 13 that Emily read this morning. You know, you can have tongues and all these gifts, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. You're a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And so they have spiritual gifts. The Holy Ghost is moving. Man, they got tongues. They got prophecy. They got words of knowledge. They have stuff going on. And they are eagerly waiting Christ's return. And we even sang about that. Streets of gold this morning. That where we're going to get a B1 these days, right? I would love to see those four things in the churches in Newcastle, wouldn't you? I would be thinking we're hitting pretty go- go- good in Newcastle if all the, four, all the churches were doing those four things. Wouldn't you love it if all the people in Newcastle who love Jesus were talking about Jesus? Wouldn't you love it if all the people in Newcastle would have spiritual gifts and they would be operating in the things of the Spirit? Wouldn't that be awesome instead of fighting against it? Wouldn't you love it if they were all eagerly waiting for Jesus' return? I would. So Good. So God was moving despite the problems in ch- in the church. Just like here, God is moving despite our problems, despite our immaturity at New Covenant Worship Center. I am so thankful God shows up in our worship even though we do some stupid stuff. Yeah. Can I have a witness? Yeah. Paul knows God will change their hearts. Paul affirms them in their identity and what they're doing way really really well before he starts correcting. And here's where we can apply this to our life. And here's where I want to help us to apply this word of God to our lives. Because I believe we should follow Paul's pattern when we're upset with somebody. Just like Paul, we need to deeply love people. We must be thankful for people. Even though they're immature, even though they're making mistakes, even though they're not meeting the mark. We must look for the good and what they are doing right, not wrong. We must praise them with our words. We must praise them and encourage them with our words, our words of affirmation, our, uh, p- thanking them public. Paul wrote this in a letter. He, he penned how he was thankful for them. He declared who they were. And we need to do the same with our words. And we need to have gratitude in our hearts for them, be grateful and appreciate their giftedness, and be grateful for what they bring to your life. Because one thing I have found is you can't be grateful and thankful and mad at the same time. Your gratitude determines your altitude. You cannot be thankful and grateful for somebody and be mad and honked off at the same time. It just does not work. And if you don't get into the realm of the spirit and into this, be, this pattern of being grateful and thankful, you will not do conflict well. Just like the couple in the video. They weren't doing conflict, and there was a correction that God was trying to bring to this man and how he was stewarding his life to his children. Here's what I'm correctable. I got corrected by my wife here recently. Is she here? No, she's back there. Abel will remember this. We were here. Me and Abe were getting chairs and tables for his, his, <laughs> that was my son, Abe. We were getting tables for his uh, block party. And so Tiffany and all the family was up here set up for the open house and and, and uh, I told Abe I'd come and we'd get them loaded in my truck and we'd get them to his house. And I come and all those chairs and all those tables were out front where everybody was coming in. And I was planning on going around and getting the chairs back here. And Karen goes, and I go to Abraham. Abraham, we don't use black chairs. We don't let those go out because we don't like him get them scratched. We only let people use brown ones. And, but he was trying to keep me from using my back. He was trying to make it easy for who? Papa. He was loving me really, really well. Because he did it different than I did it. Oh, that never happens to you. (laughs) I said, dude, we can't do that. And Karen goes, she goes, that was a little rude how you just handled your your son. I said, yep, it sure was. That guy's a good son very thankful for him. And so I had to be corrected by my wife. Anybody else been corrected by their wife? And I knew it immediately. I knew it it right away. Before I was stupider, it would have taken me two or three weeks to figure that one out. It took about 30 seconds that time. Uh, When I was less mature. Thank you. Not stupid. See, it's in my language. So Are you with me? That's a real example. And I just forgot where I was at. (laughs) Finding gratitude, it will affect your altitude. Love must compel you, not your pride, not being right, not the way you want it, not your offense, not what you see wrong. Do not focus on their immaturity. Be thankful and grateful for the person and speak it forth to them just like Paul did and mean it and don't just blow smoke up their skirt. People can tell when you're sincere and they can tell where you're only checking off the boxes. Me and Michelle Preble talked about this this morning. We have, we call it the Oreo method at New Covenant. You say something nice, then you tell the correction, and then you say something nice. If it is a system to you, it will backfire because your heart's not genuine. You have to find the gratitude. You have to find what you're thankful for for that person. You have to realize what their giftings are, that they're just immature, and that actually you are just as immature just in a different area. And I was counseling somebody, and we just say, our stupid's a little different than somebody else's stupid. Or my immaturity is a little different than somebody else's immaturity. And my immaturity drives you nuts, and your immaturity drives me nuts. Can I have a witness? And I put in my notes right here, I must grow here. I must renew my mind here. Because I fixate on the problem versus the relationship and the value of the person. Does anybody else do that? I fixate on the problem rather than fixating on the relationship and the value of the person. I, 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 don't, I don't have, I, I'm, I'm getting there. Paul and his value of the Corinth church, his love and all that kind of stuff, overrode the problems. And the power is in God's correction. And God is correcting my own heart to see people the way he wants me to see them. Will anybody else go on that journey with me? So, before Paul ever addresses the problems, he, again, he talks about the good things of the people. He's thankful. He has thankfulness and gratitude in his heart towards them. He concentrates on their identity and their value. And those are the things that we have to do. If you want to correct the relationship problems that you have, that you're thinking of right now, you have to focus on this stuff 90% of the time, and the other stuff, just let it fall off, and, 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 and you'll get to the issues that are problems. Can I have an amen? Is this helping anybody? Please say amen. So after his affirmation, he begins to now correct the church. And we find the first issue for growth and maturity for this church was the area of divisions in the church. Because they were dividing over leaders. So, but before I go there, I want to ask you a real powerful question. Everybody close your eyes. I don't want you looking at anybody. I don't want any husbands or wives kicking with the elbows against their husbands when I ask this question. Because I know the answer is yes for everyone. So... You're not out of the woods. I know the answer should be yes, but most of the time it's no. Are you guys ready for this question? Can anyone correct you? Are you correctable? Are you teachable? Who have you given the right to correct you or to challenge you In your thinking on maybe how you spend money, how you treat people, maybe an area of your life that may not be lining up with the word of God, who have you given the right to correct you? Most people, in my experience, it has been no one. That actually if somebody brings up something, it starts a fight rather than a help. But I want you to know today, friends, there is power in correction. We all need to know where we fall short in our lives so that we can grow and mature. Everyone needs a Paul in their life to correct them. I love what Proverbs 15, 32, and the way I've memorized it is he who heeds correction is wise, but I love the passion translation right here. Refusing constructive criticism shows you have no interest in improving your life. For revelation insight only comes as you accept correction and the wisdom that it brings. Now let's all read that together. Refusing constructive criticism shows you have no interest in proving your life. For revelation insight only comes as you accept correction and the wisdom that it brings. Will you let your spouse or pastor or a friend correct you? I always tell Karen, yes, but do it nicely. Be gentle, please. I'm a very tender man. (laughs) So Paul's first correction is about division. And I'm trying to decide whether to go on to pause. There is power in correction. And our pride really tries to keep us from allowing people to speak into our lives. I can't change people. I can only change I'm responsible to change me. And I loved what Shelley said when she said the Spirit of God was convicting her of an idol of being right. And what was the second one? Uh, fear of looking stupid. Fear of looking stupid. <laughs> I don't have that problem. I look stupid all the time. It comes pretty natural. <laughs> I'm a comic. I love laughter. But I can say some pretty silly things. Sometimes in staff meeting, Tom goes, when you said that, yeah, you don't want to use the word kahunas in in your message. (laughs) He was probably right on that. But I've given Tom the right to correct me, haven't I? And when I come to staff meeting, I ask him and I ask Shelly. Is there anything I said that was off base? And it's really hard to open yourself up to correction. I always go, go ahead, tell me. (laughs) And so I just, I think I'm supposed to end there. I think next week I'll go into what he was trying to correct them on. But I think we really need to say, before we even move into further with First Corinthians, is am I going to be willing to allow God to correct me? Because what we're going to find is there were four areas of division over leaders. And the fourth one that said, I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, I follow Cephas, which is Peter. And then, oh, I follow Christ. There are some people, oh, I follow Christ. Nobody can speak into my life by God. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus only has the right to correct me. But could we just ask the Lord right now, how correctable am I? How open am I to people sharing what they see in my life, especially when I'm in conflict? Are you cool to do that? Okay, if you would, just stand up with me. If you wouldn't mind put a little music on I'm going to finish this message next week because it's almost 12 and I have a tremendous amount but I I want to lead, lead us through a prayer of really confession and repentance if you don't mind because I I think God's preparing us as we move into this Corinthian study that there's going to be some things God wants to correct New Covenant in, in our relationships and how we relate to one another some of the same divisions and quarrels and problems we actually have here but God's raising up a holy people in this house he's raising up a people who are after his name and his glory and to be obedient lovers who represent him to the city and the nations and that's you and there's some things we're going to have to get corrected within our hearts and how we carry our hearts but if you would pray with me i'm going to lead us in what i believe the spirit of god is saying and if you want to engage your faith with me and believe that he will move upon your heart. I believe God will do something to begin to bring great change to our lives. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I, confess I confess I've not been very correctable. I've resisted it. I resisted. It's, made it's made me angry. It's made me want to resist people. And to blame them for being critical. I ask you to forgive me. I desire to be correctable, God. I desire to do Proverbs 15. I want correction. I want the power of correction in my life. So God, I yield myself to you today. I will not resist the people that you have put in my life to help me change, to grow and mature. I will not villainize them. I will not demonize them. I will not assume they're not right. But I will yield my life to your correction through your people. Oh God, hear my prayer. Forgive me and help set me free as we begin to read in 1 Corinthians the changes you're wanting to make. I surrender to you, Jesus. I love you and I want your ways. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, Amen. praise the Lord.